Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Break Fix. 2.14 miles, 11 corners, 36 feet wide, 350 acres. If you haven't guessed it yet, we're talking about a racetrack. Founded in 1995, Gingerman Raceway is a road course located east of South Haven, Michigan, where many sports car and motorcycle enthusiasts call home during the weekend. And we're very excited to have the friendly folks from Gingerman Raceway on the show with us. So please join me in welcoming Zachary Schnitta, General Manager of Gingerman Raceway, along with Mary Beth Jordan, Customer Service Manager, and J.R. Marchand, Track Operations and Maintenance Director, to talk with us about the history of the track, its evolution, and its future. Welcome to Break Fix, Zach, Mary Beth, and J.R. Hello. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, hey, guys, we realize Gingerman is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. Why don't we talk about how it all got started back in 1995? Let's talk about the who, the what, the when, the where, and the founding of Gingerman. A lot of people, you know, they, they pronounce it Gingerman Raceway, but it's actually Gingerman. It's not a big deal, you know, but it's, it's Gingerman because the track was built by my father, Dan Schnitta, who had a bar called the Gingerman Tavern. And the money from that he used to build the track in 95. And he got that name from a book by J.P. Dunleavy called The Ginger Man. And he named his bar and his racetrack after this book. But not his red hair, the book. Yeah, just the book. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was his favorite book growing up as a young man and it meant a lot to him. The I, book was actually banned in the United States when it was written initially. In the yeah, 50s. in the 50s, yeah. Risque, risque. Yeah, yes. It was, yeah. And uh, so it's actually Ginger Man, but a lot of people say Ginger Men, but you know, that's fine. So, how does one go from bar owner proprietor to racetrack owner and operator? How does that work? I have an answer for that. He was an SCCA racer since like the early 70s, plus his last residence before building on Ginger Man had an actual 12-foot-wide, maybe 14-foot-wide racetrack in the backyard. Zach will tell you about that. So he was always getting closer and closer to, you know, maybe someday owning his own, one dream after the next. I think he realized it with the last one, but he had a little racetrack at some point in his backyard too. So it's kind of funny that he still does. Yeah, it was, it's it was, still in the backyard. Dan's original track was in Sister Lakes. It was near Eau Claire. It was uh, 0.6 miles, 12 feet wide. I used to race go-karts on it when I was really small. But yeah, I guess so that was really the first Gingerman Raceway, really. It was just this little small track he had yeah, in his backyard. Then the movie The Color of Money, part of that was filmed in the Gingerman Tavern in Chicago. And then... Zach actually like met some of the people from the movie, you know, Tom Cruise and all those people, Paul Newman and Paul Newman and Dan got to be friends, but the added revenue from people coming into the bar, you know, I want to go where they filmed the color of money. The money he made during that afforded him to be able to buy the property that and build the track. Yeah. Paul Newman eventually came out to the track years later. So if the bar was originally in Chicago, then how did you end up in Michigan? Dan, when he lived in Chicago, liked to visit Michigan 
Union Pier, New Buffalo. And eventually he bought a house here and he had a family here and I was raised in Michigan. And he kind of split his time between Michigan and Chicago. And then it was just a point of trying to find the land to build the track and to find some place that had no zoning, you know, some place where there were no regulations as to like having a racetrack. So that, that took him a number of years. And so what you're saying is a place with no civilization. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. It used to be orchards. There's no, yeah, there's no ordinances. And he found this in South Haven. There was no zoning. So he was able to build this track. But it took him a while to find that land. And that's really rare in the 90s to still be able to find a patch of land like that that wasn't, you know, zoned differently or slated for housing and whatnot. It's it's not like if you were trying to build the track in the 60s where it would have been, you know, much more open and you could have probably put it just about anywhere. Yeah, this was actually an orchard. Apple orchard, you know. So very similar to Summit Point in some respects, because it is also nestled in a large portion of Apple Orchard as well. So very uh, common story there, I guess. <laughs> more, we'll see actually, how many more tracks are built yeah. that way. There's actually a few trees still from the orchard up the driveway to the far west side. There's some trees from that orchard still there. And then some back in the back edge of the property. I really should give uh, a big shout out to, to Dan Schnitta. I mean, yeah, my father who built it. He always says, and I believe him, you know, he says when he, when he built this, everyone, a lot of people thought he was crazy, nuts. And they're like, why are you doing this? You know, you're going to lose money. It's this risky venture financially on a number of levels. You know, they, they thought he was kind of quixotic or I don't, I don't know what, you know, but as, as it turns out, he's, he was very prophetic and he, he had this prophecy and, it, you know, it came true. I mean, it, it's turned out to be this really cool thing that a lot of people really like. And it, and, it, and that's really, it's great when people come up to me and they're like, this place means a lot to me. And, and, and it does make money. You know, it, it is, it's been a good financial venture. And, um, but I, I got to give credit to Dan just for seeing this vision and being bold. You kind of have the balls, I guess, to, to do this. Sole proprietorship that, you know, Dan owns it. It's been in, since the beginning and he's still there and it's now, Zach and, and JR and Jill are in it and running it. I was a manager about, four, this is my fourth season. I mean, I've been around a long time. You know, that that's huge that it's still in the family, that it's still growing. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, it's become a family business because my sister works here, JR uh, is my brother-in-law, my mother works in the kitchen. And, you know, we care a lot about what we do. And while we grow and expand, that's great, but I don't want to lose the sense of, of it being a family business or a sense of it being kind of uh, soulful. People have called us very soulful. I mean, cause we're not a big corporation. We don't have tons of money, but given what we have, we're, we're trying to expand and you know, we are slowly, but surely. And I, I always want people to feel this is a warm kind of friendly place. I don't want it to ever feel corporate or, you know, there's a great familiarity, right? Mary, Mary Beth, you can attest to this. Yeah, I mean, definitely. A lot of people come in and they talk to Mary Beth, you know, it's like part of their ritual. They, chit chat and i mean i mean feel like you know, at home. It, it's not right yeah feel comfortable i mean here. a lot of the um regulars that come in i call them my boys they're my track boys and they call me their track mom and this will be my 13th season this year with gingerman and i started out as the kitchen manager and went from there and yeah i mean it is a family i'm not a schnitta but you know i count myself lucky to be considered part of the family as well so Zach, your dad had this dream to build a racetrack. He's an amateur racer, you know, ASCCA racer, et cetera. So he finally gets to the point where he's like, I can do this. I'm going to build this track. 
where did the design come from? Did he come up with that on a, on a napkin in the bar or did he work with some other people yeah. to do it? How was the track built? Yeah, I, I asked him about this because I, I said I was going on this podcast. And for one, he, he built it with Alan Wilson, who I think went on to help design the Autobahn in Chicago. Yeah. And I asked him if he was inspired by any tracks in particular. And he said, no, he said there wasn't one track in particular. He said it was kind of based on the topography and it was based on how can you design something where you don't have to worry about flooding? You know, he wanted the water to drain away. So he looked, he found all the high points. He said he wanted something that was different. He said a lot of tracks before then, you know, you have a few little turns or crazy corners, but then you have a lot of like straight sections or straightaways. And it was kind of boring to him. He wanted something where there was continuously turns and a snake-like motion, increasing radiuses, he mentioned from corner one to corner 11 where it kind of like increasingly challenged the driver. He, he wanted the driver to be surprised. He wasn't worried so much about speed or having a fast track. It was more about a challenge. So according to him, he, yeah, he said a lot of it was just a track he wished he could drive at, things that he wasn't seeing in other tracks. And he so wanted when, it to be safe. And safe, yeah, safety was a huge. Uh, it's always been a huge deal with Dan is for it to be safe. There's yeah. no cement pylons to run into or nothing over the track, you know, like a walkway you know, that people can run into, no trees, you know, there's safety berms all the way around the track. A lot of runoff you know, area. The biggest thing yeah. is we're known as the safest track in, in the Midwest. So I wonder now, looking back over 25 years, if people compare tracks that they've been to, to Gingerman, or if they go, man, that corner, you know, turn six at Gingerman is just like XYZ at, you know, at BIR or New Jersey or something like that. It, it, are there any parallels like that now as you look back over and having spent so much time with the course's designer, is it truly unique to the venue itself? I uh, work customer service, so I get a lot of daily interaction with the customers and you know, I hear them talking about the track and this and that. And I don't think I've ever heard them compare Gingerman as far as, you know, this corner is like this somewhere else. You know, I've never really heard them say that. All I hear yeah, them say is it's, very, yeah. it's safe. It's fun and it's safe. And it's a good place to learn to drive on a track. The design that you see today of Gingerman, is that the same as when it started or has the track changed over the years? So you were talking about designing stuff on a handkerchief or a piece of paper or whatnot. So that's how the extension to the original track started in like 2007 was a lot of scribbling around ideas between Dan and I. We went on this probably for three years and it was mostly me chasing him around going like, we really have to do this. This is what I have in mind. What do you think? We pretty much collaborated on this for like three years before groundbreak, you know, before Isn't we got. One? Yeah, because okay. I actually ran this over by a whole bunch of people. Just, I mean, we're not engineers. We were not track designers per se, but I mean, he's an SCCA racer. I'm an SCCA racer too. So it was kind of like, and I also lived at the track at the time. I had been living on the track for close to a decade, I guess. I was like really in tune with making the changes to it. And he was also on board with the whole idea. And uh, we just took our time. It made sense. It didn't really change the flow of things as far as speed, 
or there was no real heavy braking added to the extension of the track. If anything, it added about a quarter mile or so of extra straightaway, plus some really cool areas of high speed and whatnot. So it was kind of like, are we going to do this? And it really happened. We He uh, hired some local companies and we got it all done. And I think it might have taken like three or four months to get the whole thing done. But the idea itself, I really had to push him to do it because he was really happy with the way things were. But I was traveling, racing a lot, and I, and I knew that the track had something had left out. And it was just the actual straightaway was too short. And it had become too much of that technical track that didn't give the driver a little break or maybe let the car open up a little bit more. It was too much of a maybe go-kart track. And it can still be like that. A lot of people think of it that way. Like maybe it's still too boring because it's too safe. But I think it's still what you make out of it because there's not a lot of stuff to hit. But you can get in a lot of trouble and you can destroy your car in no time. I'm sure there's plenty of proof. Oh, yeah. We don't have have like a corner six, blah, 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 that eats up cars or the kink but our drivers don't spend time in the hospital nope usually yeah the cars are done forever but the drivers we don't have any any yeah so it's it's all good on that respect so the track's still very safe and yeah it is kind of a amateur club track and it serves its purpose for the beginners and for the manufacturers to do a lot of testing and uh, you can get really good at driving here if you come here and if you, if you keep the tires on the track. Because a lot of <laughs> people don't. A lot of people don't. A lot of people go like, well, there's no walls. I'm just going to throw it out there. And the whole terminology, sand your cars. So, yeah, we see a lot of that at Ginger Man. JR, you mentioned that you were also racing around. So I'm wondering, you know, when... Dan designed the track. What kind of car was he running at the time? And did that influence the design of the track? And when you extended the track, what kind of car were you driving or are you still driving? Did that have an effect on the design as well? Okay. We were both really heavy on Formula Mazdas, which are open wheel, Formula cars, spec cars, which back then they were the thing that a lot of people were getting into and I think it still may be a class in some capacity, but we were just doing open wheel cars. And and now I don't do so much of that. Now I'm more like the spec Miata guy, which is okay because I feel good at driving a spec Miata like I did back then. But it did influence some of it. It was really a continuation of the rest of the track, just wide open corners that you know, with a lot of runoff, there's some elevation changes that were added to it. Like when you're getting on the straightaway, kind of you're looking up at the sky for a minute and it's kind of yeah. cool. It's really so, cool. I like that. Yeah. And, and in, the, in the beginning, people didn't know what to make of it. Like they really thought that it was a straightaway and then there's a dog leg and then they end up putting wheels off there. Yeah. It's not where you want to check your lap times when you're on the... It's kind of a cool track. And yeah, I've been to all the other tracks like Sebring and and Watkins Glen. And yeah, and I've been to also Summit Point. 
And I've been to all these places, but I always felt like Gingerman, it was designed. I guess they just had the extra uh, land to build the track because in other tracks, you just run out of land and you don't know what to do and you're screwed forever. At Gingerman, there's some places that we actually had to move the guardrail in some areas and, and that took a while also to get it through the owner's head to get some changes done because that's what we ended up with the or the track ended up with the designer so to make changes it takes a while right now we're actually installing our first catch fence the whole tracks never had a fence the whole perimeter of the track never had a piece of fence wow so we're actually installing 450 lineal feet of catch fence with the suicide posts it's like 16 overall foot of fence but it's going to look really cool. So what's the reasoning behind adding the fence now 25 years later? Is that part of the safety package that you guys have created? As you would think, 48 inches of guardrail is not going to stop much of anything. So we've had instances where debris actually made it over the... We had turn 11. Right. Uh, we've had tires, I guess, body work and... Some other things. Yeah. So it was just time to close it up. Uh, I guess my worst nightmare spending 18 years at the track here would be that we have a car going over at speed and landing on people. And that's it. I would never be able to come back not having tried to really seal up that area of the track because now it's done. So now I can sleep a lot better. So that actually brings up a really great question in that, are there a lot of spectator areas at Gingerman? Because some of the smaller tracks don't usually have a ton of grandstands. Like you mentioned, you've been to Summit Point, you've been to some other locations, and there's not a lot to, to pick from, unlike a Watkins Glen or some of the bigger like IMSA tracks where they have to have tons and tons of grandstands because of multi-purpose NASCAR going there, things of that nature. Is that part of the concern is because there is a lot of spectator area at Gingerman? We do have a lot of spectator areas, but turn 11, it's specific. It's not really so much that it's spectator, but that on the other side of turn 11, a lot of people are there to paddock. They're not really looking at the cars. They're working on their cars, so they're not watching for things going over. So we wanted to make sure that people are safe there and they don't need to be really looking at the track at all times to make sure that they're safe because I got to tell you with that fence in place, it just feels safer. And I know a lot of people are going to appreciate it. Yeah. You're less of mind. You're less exposed, I guess, is the way I think look so. at it. It yeah. feels great. Just even now it's not finished. It's like, Oh my God, people are really going to appreciate just like the blanket of safety. And I Which was I- really crazy about this whole thing. I've been like kind of naughty about it. But yeah, I live there and I'm kind of tied into the whole family and everything. So I'm kind of crazy about the whole fence thing. (laughs) (laughs) With the design of the track, you guys mentioned it was really important to deal with water runoff and things like that. And we've noticed with some of the newer tracks that the surfaces are oftentimes crowned, which is very similar to the road surfaces, which are designed to allow water to push off from both sides of the track versus some of the older tracks where the water is graded to run where you wanted it to go. So I'm wondering with Gingerman, what's the design of the track surface like? The straightaways, most road engineers, they build in the crown. So 
You don't get puddles in the middle. Being 36 to 50-ish feet wide in some areas, maybe even 60 feet wide where the extension starts, that area there, we didn't want to have puddles because going from the old configuration into the extension, that's like the widest point of the whole track. We wanted to make sure that you're not hanging in there 90 mile an hour quick left-hander. And if it's holding water, it would just really be a problem pushing people into the grass really easy. And so that was one of the key things. And all through the track, you can see how it was designed like, you know, regular crown, but then you have to deal with the same thing on the corners. And at least these corners we did, it was pretty easy to manage the water. Like 10B, most of the water is going to the inside, which is like really crazy because if you think about it, that whole straightaway, the beginning of it now, it's a downhill. So you're pushing a lot of water down into that little carousel at the beginning of 10B. But it seems to do very well. And yeah, we get a lot of wash, like the ground gets washed off. And we got a lot of sand on track because we got a lot of water crossing over with sand. And But that's just dealing with nature, just like everything else. Yeah, between five and six. And we alleviate that over time. Oh, yeah. Taking stabs at it. But water management, that was one of the things Dan, the owner, always talked about super elevation and where do you want the water to go most of it drains into the pond oh uh, yeah there's a pond that i think the pond was not there originally even for the orchard it was not there it was actually built for the yeah track. the local fire department uses it to like flush their fire engines and stuff like that, which is pretty cool to watch them do that when they're flushing their hydrants and whatnot or their fire engines. Pretty cool. If there's a local fire, they can come into the track and pull water out of our pond and put it into their tanker truck and rush it over to where the fire is if it's close by. It's a good way yeah. to get back to the community, right? All that runoff. Yep, and definitely. And Might have a little bit of antifreeze and oil in it, but you know, hey, whatever. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. A lot of tracks have recently been going through repaves because, you know, after decades of people just kind of punishing the asphalt, it's always time to go through a repave. So has Gingerman gone through a repave? And if so, how has the track changed because of it? The last one was in 2015, right, Jared? Yeah. Yeah, we did like partial repave. We did from what, turn nine all the way through to 11 backwards. Yeah, it was 9 through 11, and then they had to come back out and, and yeah. finessing. But nothing too bad from that. The, it's been holding up pretty good. It's always been a pretty abrasive track because of the content. There's quite a bit of limestone and the okay. slag. Yeah, the slag over time has exposed itself, which gives you quite a bit of grip, but it tears up tires if you're very aggressive. Or it depends, many things. But it is known for being a uh, abrasive track because the slag and the limestone are very, very well exposed. They don't complain that tires get used up as much since it got repaved. The go-karts, they didn't like coming because the old track was really bumpy in some yeah. spots. But after the repave, it, you know, it was flattened down and, and they loved it. And motorcycles too, because before, when it was initially paved, it was three separate things of asphalt that were laid down and we had a lot of, of that tar in between them to seal it the motorcycles didn't like that either because that that tar made it really slippery for them 
But after we repaved, they were super happy that we didn't have so much tar. And then on top of that, we did have a few complaints about people saying, well, my reference points aren't there anymore. I don't know where to look. I don't know. I, I can't find my reference point. It's gone. So because they look at specific spots on the track itself and they were gone. I going to say that that repave Mary Beth was talking about, they were doing the, uh, the no seams and it's just like a one pass and it was quite a bit different machinery than what had been used previously for the original, which uh, you don't have these two guys doing tandem passes, uh, which gives you no seam and, and makes it look a lot cleaner. And obviously you don't get that crack in between the lanes, if you mm -hmm. will. That was quite cool watching them do that whole strategy was different for them too, but they really nailed it. Just how they ran the machines differently. And they were actually illustrated in some magazine for asphalt companies nationwide. So it was like quite a thing they accomplished. I don't think we use them so much anymore because we, we haven't had that many issues with the track surface. It's been pretty consistent now going into what, six years, so. Yeah, so the biggest thing on everybody's mind after repave is, did the lap times get better? So Oh from yeah, they did. Right. There's a group out there, Track Midwest, and the big deal is getting a sub 140 at Gingerman now. And they actually have decals and stuff out there of, they'll send them to people if they get a sub 140. And yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of neat. We also repaid the paddock. That was, was it two years? Yeah, that was in 2019. So that was kind of a big project as well. Uh, anytime you pay costs a lot of money and yeah, it's kind of a, yeah, which actually brings up a really good question because VIR did that a couple of years ago as well. And it became a sticking point for a lot of people because then they started having the security guards patrolling the paddock, making sure that people, you know, put stuff under the jack pads and you couldn't, you know, have that was us around. too. Yeah, oh, okay. Had, I just wanted to, wanted to see. Boards we'd give out for people yeah. and signs and yeah, it was, it was a whole big thing. It was. Because yeah. we got ours done in July. Oh, so. yeah. It took it took a while for it to uh, solidify, and yeah, no, that, yeah. that was definitely an issue. It wasn't security guards; it was me and Zach and Jr. running around, or having the maintenance guys run around. Here's these boards. Here's these boards. So I'd rather be handed a board than a fine. So I, I very oh, much exactly. appreciate that. Exactly. <laughs> One big project to the next: expanding the track, adding more safety, etc. So yeah, talking about safety and everything, and you guys are known as the, one of the safest tracks in the area, if not the safest track in the area. You're adding a new fence and everything. What about some other uh, non-structural safety things? Like, do you, what's your safety crew like? How quickly do they deploy? Do you have on-site ambulance? Do you have an on-site med bay or like? Yeah, we have a crew of two MFR EMT medic people during most events. Sometimes we hire out depending on the event and what the event coordinators want, we'll hire out a full service EMT, full stocked ambulance that can transport. Our guys are basic life support. They don't transport, but it takes South Haven emergency services maybe five to seven minutes to get to us when we do have to call them. We have a group called the Rescue Guys that come to most of the sanctioned events, uh, the Lemons Race, SCCA, NASA, and they will go out and do tows and pickups. They're really good at what they do. Yeah. Yeah. We'll hire Harbor Towing, which is local here to South Haven. And they come out and do hot tows during sanctioned events. 
We also have our crew of race marshals and our lead control person that during like a test in tune or an open track weekend that we host, we'll um, shut the track down if there's, you know, an accident that needs to go get picked up or something and we'll pull them in. But if it's a sanctioned event, we um, go above and beyond for them and get, get the people here to make sure that they get their events happening and going. Are you guys providing the flackers or are those being yes. provided by the organizers? Well, it depends on the event. If it's like an SCCA sanctioned event, they have their own corner workers. They're volunteers that they bring in. Our corner marshals are there for all the other events. We do the lemons races. We do motorcycle races. We do motorcycle test and tunes and track weekends. We do the karting event that happens every September. We have a flag crew, depending on what the customer wants. We'll have those flaggers out there. We'll, ha we'll have our lead control person and our race marshals out there. And we have a young crew, but we constantly get comments on how professional they are and how, how good they are at their job. Is every corner manned or are only no, certain corners? It, it depends on the amount of vehicles on the track itself. Like for our fast guy club, which is our group, normally for like our open tracks, we usually have one, three, five, seven, 10, and 11 manned. But if it's a sanctioned race, there's one or two corner workers per station. So, you know, it, it just depends. It, it's all about what the customer wants and we want to make sure we're out there for everybody. Well, Jerry, could probably talk about the lights you've set up. I mean, Oh yeah, that's, that's nice a great thing. point. Yeah, so like, again, another thing that you can always do so much, you know, so it was just trying to catch up with, other tracks i guess and we needed lights we needed caution lights because they really get your attention it's it's a very consistent stimulus it's just proven it's been proven yeah. for a hundred years out on the roads flashing light a red light green light whatever we didn't want to like spend 60 grand on some system or 40 grand on some system that probably has been implemented at some other racetrack there's plenty of those. We've, I mean, I've done consultations. We did it a little kind of go on the cheap, if you will, and uh, installed some really high intensity strobe LED bars on the corner stations with solar panels to charge 12 volt batteries to enable the corner marshal to switch on and off to use along with their flags. It worked out really good because you could see these things from, you know, a mile away. Like, literally, you can probably see them from a mile away. But the thing is that from the closer distances on the track, it just makes a huge difference compared to a flag. That's why FIA, by like year 2022 or something like that, next year, most grade A and grade B tracks or something, are going to be required to have lights. The jobs for the, the marshals are still going to be there, but the flags themselves are probably going to be diminishing over time because flags, if they're close to the track, they're putting corner workers at a great stake for sure. So you move these people away from the track and you put the lights closer to the track. And now you can save some or marshals' uh, lives or what have you, but... That's one of the things that with the lights, we still have people on the corners and the corner stations, but we've changed maybe the stimulus of the condition for a caution 
because flags with human error, yeah, or was it flat? Was it waving hard enough? The intensity of the flag or whatnot? I just, I think it worked out really well. That We've actually, got a lot of compliments from drivers and from event coordinators that really like the lights. They appreciate it. At first, I thought you were going to tell me that you guys are running night events. We have run night events Grid, with Grid Life. Yeah, Grid Life has done night events here. Oh, very cool. Yeah, they bring in light towers and stuff and place them yeah. on the infield, and the outfield, and actually run at night. Our oh, neighbors don't like it too much, but... But it actually really brought up a, a great question because JR mentioned something about the solar panels. And, you know, we're all petrol heads here. We're still burning dinosaur blood as long as we can help it. But it brings up a question about the green initiatives, the EV revolution and things like that with respect to the racetracks themselves, not just the cars. So what kind of initiatives has Gingerman taken to embrace green technology or other things around the racetrack itself? We have installed two Tesla chargers at the track. Sounds like solar panels is another one, probably more of that yep. stuff in the future. Yeah. I'm kind of excited about the future of that. because you know, I've read articles about these cars, uh, Teslas, or when they're, when they drive on their own, you know, these smart cars or whatever, they're going to need places to test them. You know, we provide a great place to test all this technology and th there's still a lot of work that they have to do to perfect all this stuff. And, you know, we have a great pl safe place where they can do that. Oh, I'm sure we're open for that. We have the infrastructure. Well, I'm trying to think about the green stuff. I guess that we're. Um... Oh yeah, I don't know. I guess I did mention that using solar panels saved us uh, a lot because we didn't have to dig and bury cable and then use the nuclear power that just south of here provides us with. And right. uh, so that's more of an issue for the the drivers and. I mean, we provide the facility and the course. It seems like that's more of a thing for the actual cars and teams and yeah. organizations that come here. Uh, I mean, at some point, we've thought about having a, a fleet of cars. or Well, we do have some cars you can rent out. But, I mean, at some point, we could have cars that are electric, you know, mm -hmm. I suppose. Or if we ever develop this idea of having cars to rent out for people, definitely I think some of them could be electric. That could be something. That'd be an idea. That's funny about renting cars. Someone asked if they could rent Dan's Acura to take on the track for the weekend. I'm assuming that's an NSX. Yeah, he just <laughs> got it. Yeah. Very nice. So you guys mentioned that Gingerman itself holds different events, be it motorcycles, go-karts, your own, you know, DEs, uh, high-performance drivers, education events, things like that. You know, for somebody coming to Gingerman for the first time, you know, they're kind of, they're psyched up through the organization they're coming with, you know, they want to come to the track. What kind of amenities are available? You know, what kind of expectations should the first timer have when they, they cross the gates at Gingerman? What should they expect to see? Any given event. You pull up, you park at the gatehouse, you get out, come sign waivers, our track waiver and the group's waiver, and then you get your bands, you pay for camping and electric, and then you proceed inside and find yourself, if you got electric, then you go to your electric spot. We have 29 electric 30 amp spots that you can rent for 20 bucks for 24 hours. So if you come in on Thursday, it's 80 bucks for electric. Camping is $10 per person per night. Kids 12 and under are free. We have two shower houses. Our north bathrooms, there's four rooms. And then our south bathrooms, we have showers in both the men's side and the ladies' side. Do you guys have a go-kart track? Go-karts come in September. They have their... So they run They run on the track. There's not a yes. separate go-karting no. facility. Correct. Okay. So we thought Correct. about doing that. Definitely, that's an idea we've had, yeah. We have a kitchen that's open from seven to three every day during the event. Serves wonderful breakfast. My, mo my mother healthy. runs 
I've always liked my mom's food, and yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, I really, I, I love it. Yeah, so home cook it on top of it all. Look at that. Oh yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah. definitely. Carol's a, an amazing cook, and some of the stuff that she brings in, chicken fajitas and and chili and Mexican just BLTs. Every year, I'd like to have something new on the menu. Last year was Mexican BLTs, and this year I was kind of thinking of like a Indian food panini, chicken vindaloo. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I don't know. We're thinking about it. I mean, it's it's kind of, it's in the works. It might be too tough for a, a racetrack. And then we have a gift shop where we sell what you forgot to pack type stuff. We also sell lubricants for vehicles, all different kinds of stuff. We have 93, 110. Yep. Racing. We sell helmets. We sell anything, any sweatpants, sweatshirts, t-shirts, kids clothes, hats. We pretty much keep you covered for the whole weekend, at, you know, whatever you need. Oh, yeah. We have a, a huge communal fire pit in front of our La Dolce Vita building, which is like the lunchroom or meeting room, people call it. And then we have the pond that you can fish in. There's fish in there. I used There's to a- swim in there when I was a kid, but we don't really encourage swimming anymore. Dogs that go in and play. We have a sign. Yeah, we don't have lifeguards. People don't really swim in there anymore, but you could, theoretically. But you stock yeah. with fish. What kind of fish are in there? Is it just... I don't know. The SCCA, they stocked it last time. Part of their summer festival of speed was a fishing contest for kids. And so they stocked it with fish and I don't know, bluegill, some uh, trout. I don't know. Jared, you you fished. Yeah, I've I've actually caught largemouth perch on flies or uh, bluegills on flies. And I've actually caught a huge catfish. A huge catfish. No, somebody put it in there. So I just. (laughs) You know, I caught it. I caught that thing. It was sick, huge. I put it back. So pretty nasty. I there's there's like little otters, like see, little otters that muskrats, I guess, that live in there. And we have blue herons and turtles and a lot of wildlife in general. Lots of snakes. Deer, we have really geese that fly up and land on top of our three-story tower. <laughs> the tower. <laughs> <laughs> are are we talking about a racetrack or Doctor Doolittle? I mean, what? yeah, exactly. Well, to. I mean, it's, we, it's we 350 acres out in the country. It, it's a really pretty track. We were talking like the landscape, but like you know, it's out in the it's pastoral. There's rolling hills and farmlands. It's pretty. Well, it's scenic. You know, what I, mean? I know it's time to go fishing. What are you talking? Yeah, about? and there's fishing. Heck yeah, we have little woods you can hike through. You know, and yeah, it's. it's Pretty. I mean, sometimes we have to put yellow flags up for deer on well, the track. Never had an issue. We've never had an incident though with deer on the track. I no, think that's more no. In the off in the off season, that's when you see maybe some more like well, especially the well, deer. spring and fall. Spring and fall, the corner workers will call in. You know, we've got deer out by turn eight. You know, just keep an eye on them. Let us know where they're at, and then you know, if they get too close, they'll they'll throw a yellow flag out. We've had squished animals like, you know, um, chipmunks and that kind of thing, squirrels out on the track a few times. What was really cool is during the first or second major grid life festival they had, somebody put a sign up that said, duck nesting, be quiet by the fence. And there was a, a mama duck with a bunch of baby eggs. And that <laughs> Monday or Tuesday after grid life, the eggs hatched and the mama walked them across the track, across turn two and all the way to the pond wow like is a mama duck with like five little babies it was the cutest thing ever i have pictures of them so going back to the first timer <laughs> uh, you know what oftentimes you know somebody coming to the track for the first time spends a good portion of their day in a classroom so right. are the classrooms you know heated and cooled you know what kind of things should folks expect there as well 
Yeah, we do have heat. We don't have air conditioning in the in La Dolce Vita, but we do have air conditioning in the tower. It depends on where the group wants to hold their class. We do not per se hold classes during our particular events, but Auto Interest and CGI Motorsports and that kind of stuff, they hold classes mostly in the pavilion, the La Dolce Vita building. They hold their classes, but that building can be opened up, doors on both sides. So it's a nice breeze walk through. You check in there, you go to your class, and then you don't spend all day in class. You know, because while advanced and intermediate are on track, the novices are in the classroom and then it's time for them to go out. So, you know, they spend time in the classroom and out on the track. One of the services we offer, we have our own coaches. I mean, JR is one of the coaches and we have a couple other guys through me or, you know, on the website, you can schedule them. And our, our rule is you need at least three track days experience at our track or one like ours to get on the track. But if you don't, you can go, we have driving schools like CGI, but uh, we could also, yeah, hire a coach who can work with you on an open track day, or you can even rent, rent out the track, you know, if you have some money. It's like with, with basketball, you know, how do you play basketball? It's easy. You find a ball, then you go to a court or whatever, but racing, it's always, it's more difficult. It's a little more complex. And so I try to simplify and streamline that process as much as possible on our website. There's a big section that says, I am new. What do I do? I get that question so many times over the years, like, how do I get involved in racing? Or I, I'm very aware of that. I've tried pretty hard to, to make it as easy as possible for people. That's such a great point, Zach. I, I want to go back to probably 1996, when the track, Ginger just had been built. There were very little options of finding, obviously, a website or help on how to get on the track. So this has come such a long ways and we don't realize that because everything's given to us this day and age. But back then, even through the mid 2000s, getting into an actual track day, you would almost have to be friends with the organizer or lie about your experience or lie about who worked on your car to make it to the track. And now it's really easy. And, and I don't know if you guys agree, but Zach's just, it's making it easy for the newcomer that has no idea. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here because of them. The track has come a long ways because we've really opened the door for the newcomers. That's our main people. It's like the advanced, the intermediates, and the novices. We're not like a pro track by any means. So it's a really cool thing. And the only way to grow the sport is to get the novices in. Right, that too. Or else, you know, you can only advance so far. Well, and CGI, they're a really good partner. They've been with us for years and they're here once a month and they offer a really great driving school, a classroom, one-on-one instruction, and it's a whole day and it's affordable. Uh, It's really nice that they're here too. They've been coming here probably since 99. Since we're still talking about first timers and you guys are definitely veterans of Ginger Man, you know all the secrets, right? So how about hot takes on some of the corners of the track? Like, you know, things you maybe should do and you things you really shouldn't do. So you want to share some of that knowledge? Pay well, attention to your brake markers, your turn in apex turnout cones. Don't think you know it all when you get there because you have no idea. As a novice, when you come in, don't think because you can go fast on the highway that you can go fast on the racetrack. And don't be an idiot once you leave the racetrack and think, well, I can go fast on the racetrack, so I'm going to go fast on the roads. Because that just makes it bad for everybody. Pay attention to what your coaches say. Pay attention. Prep your car the right way before you come. Put the high-end brake fluid in your car. You know, don't boil your brakes. 
there's a lot going on there that we get phone calls all the time. You know, I'm so excited. I just got this car and I want to bring it out on your track. What do I have to do? And it's like, well, have you run, been on a road course before? No, but I've done um, autocross or I've done drag strip. Well, that's that avenue. But road course racing is completely different. And you got to go to a, a driving school or attend an event that has coaches. Before we made, made this three track day rule, before you could sign up as a novice, this one particular kid came out. He had a brand new GTR. His friend took him for like eight laps. And then he got out in the car and forgot to brake going into turn three. He did over $10,000 damage to his car and it cost him 600 bucks to tow his car home. And he stood there with his mouth open and couldn't even speak when he came into eight and a half where I work and was like, what do I do? You know, he, he couldn't even speak. He couldn't form words. I mean, to get that car out of where it was, took time away from everybody else that wanted to have track time, you know, to save everybody the track time and save people from hurting their car and possibly themselves, which hasn't happened, thank God. That's why we mandated that three time rule. And we also say, you know, if you sign up and you lied about your experience, we can pull you off the track because we don't want you jeopardizing somebody else or their track time. That's fair. It's completely yeah. fair. That brings up a good question with that example of the person doing that much damage to their car. Uh, I'm assuming that there was some damage to either the track or the, the wall uh, or the tire wall or something like that. Are those costs passed on to the participant? How does Ginger Man handle situations like that where there's actual monetary costs and damage to Ginger Man property? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tack yeah. onto that. How much does a bag of kitty litter actually cost? <laughs> We're not telling. <laughs> That's a big question. And it's kind of a complex question you bring up. Some of it depends on insurance, depends on what kind of insurance you get. If you're going on our policy or you pay more money and get your own policy and you pay more money. So it covers bodily injury and damage to track property, but a lot of groups don't do that. So then, yeah, it's in the contract. I mean, any, any damage to the facility, it's on you. And then whether the group passes that, that cost on to the driver, that's up to the group. Yeah. Well, there, yeah. Sometimes the, the individual will, will be responsible. There's certain circumstances. I'm trying to remember, like. I'm going to talk about the kitty litter for a second, Zach. Oh, okay. Well, no, but yeah, essentially. Oh, I'm not going to say how much it costs or anything, but oh, okay. gone away from the clay kitty litter to this other stuff that absorbs twice as much and you can reuse it and it's still biodegradable. Fire departments and police departments in our area started using it and we still get it from the hardware or the automotive store, but it's a lot lighter and it's more absorbent and you can just, you know, you put it down, you spread it out and you can shovel it back in and use it again, but it still is biodegradable. So it's not going to hurt the, the property or anything. So I'm renting the kitty litter now. I'm not, I'm not actually buying it. I got it. I got it. I got but it. the price hasn't if changed. It's still the same price. For it. That's funny. <laughs> I think we're pretty reasonable with certain things. I mean, there was one incident where someone uh, ran into a corner station by 10B. We didn't charge them. I think it was NASA because it was in a bad spot. People had hit that before and we were going to rebuild it. So we didn't really feel like it was fair to give them the bill. You know, so they, they aided you in demolition. So you gave them a break. <laughs> yeah. In general, yeah, you're, you're responsible for damage you cause. And most groups are really good about that. You know, the biggest thing is guardrail. Like it costs a lot more than you would think it does to fix and repair. I warn people, I'm like, it doesn't look like, you know, a lot of damage, but we got to fix this. And yeah, it's going to cost more than you think, you know. 
especially at the Glen because it's blue and because it's painted, it's more expensive. So just you know, oh, yeah. out there. <laughs> and and I, I don't bring this up to, to put you guys on the spot or anything, because what you're saying is not something that's any different than we've heard from other tracks or experience with people going to other tracks or anything like that. But it's something that I want our listeners to know, you know, from a responsibility standpoint, that if you're going to do this, if you're going to go to a track and everything, it can be a lot more expensive than just your car. You got to be careful with, with what happens. Exactly. You're liable for everything that happens. Well, I, exactly. If you're a group, if it was me, I would get that extra insurance. I'd get my own insurance. I would cover property damage. A lot of tracks don't. And some of them do. Some of them have that insurance that covers property damage. It kind of depends on the group. And like Mary Beth was saying, they just say, well, we'll have the individual cover it, you know, and if they don't want to cover it, well, then we'll kick them out, you know, or whatever, like. Well, and it's not all property damage on, on the track itself, you know, you get some silly individual that after the track day is over has ingested too much alcohol and decides yeah. wants to punch a hole in the bathroom wall, you know. Uh, they take a golf cart and run over our menu. Oh, yeah. The time yeah. that guy just destroyed her. Yeah, our A-frame menu board. So it's not just during the track day. Yeah, there's always yeah, there's all kinds of things. Someone at so, Lemon accidentally set a garbage can on fire, which was a first. And that burnt through to the the new asphalt. Yeah, I didn't like. I, I didn't care so much about the garbage can, but it sucked that it. Yeah, kind of messed up the asphalt a little bit. <laughs> we we actually we actually had to have at one time between Thursday and Friday when 24-hour lemons comes. We locked the gate at 11 o'clock on Thursday night. You know, we closed the gate. And then Friday morning, we, op- we reopen at seven for the test and tune for the day, for their practice day. Well, some Lemons boys decided to take our gate apart. <laughs> Just leave it there. I mean, have tools will travel. so And left it there. So they could get in and get a paddock spot and, you know, blah, 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 blah. We wouldn't start the practice day until they put the gate back on there. <laughs> so JR, hot takes on the track, do's and don'ts, certain corners. You know, you get used to your references or lack of. Once you get used to it, it's definitely a late breaking and late turn style of a track. At most tracks, you're not going to gain anything, but this one, because there really isn't anything to hit by maybe locking up or testing the limits of the track. That's what it's meant for, really. So breaking late and waiting to turn, wait for it, because you're probably doing it too early. And it's just one of those tracks that rewards you in that matter. But like individual do's and don'ts, I guess I don't have a whole bunch of them. Stay off the grass, please. It, it takes <laughs> a lot of, yeah, we don't have walls and things like that. But if you're putting two wheels off on the same corner on every lap and you're digging out dirt and you're, you know, you're making it now like six feet wide, your car gets six feet wide every lap onto the grass. It's crazy. We see it happen. We see the whole entertainment happen every lap after lap during NASA or Lamont's, but it's just terrible. It's like it turns into rallies sometimes. So I don't know if you're doing it, you're not gaining any time. 
it, it kind of begs the question it, on both sides. If the drivers are doing that, they must be doing it to gain some sort of advantage, or at least their telemetry is telling them so. And I've seen that at certain tracks. Mid-Ohio is an example. The racing line is off of the pavement. Summit Point, turn one, you see all the Miata guys kick their car out to the outside and basically yeah. chop off part of the grass to make turn one. It kind of begs the question going as, as the track you know, providers, as the cr- designers and maintainers to say, well, why don't we add three extra feet of asphalt? Is that because you're worried that people are going to go take that three feet and then another three feet more on top of that? Or, you know, is there a compromise that can be made between the drivers chewing up the grass and just adding a little bit more asphalt? And I know I make it sound like just adding asphalt is a cheap thing, but over time it's like, well, maybe there's a reason they keep taking these turns this way. So that's like right on point. I was talking to this guy from Grid Life and I was telling him how we're going to putting a whole bunch of grass seed and it's like late October and I'm hoping that all these bare spots are looking decent by our 25th anniversary year because it looked like hell dude I mean it was really rough and a lot of dirt had to be put back onto the verges to protect the track next year or this year so a lot went into that I'm thinking it only takes like a weekend of It could be laments or it could be grid life or a couple of sessions of drifting gone wrong. And there goes a lot of sod or dirt. And it's just the track deteriorates really quick. The edges of the track can go to hell uh, over a weekend of drifting. You know, it's just it's good entertainment. But from the health of the track, you have to like somehow find a happy medium between like you said the drivers and the track we haven't done anything drastic if anything i think the track when it was originally built because the track didn't have walls they built these crazy curbs they were like half dome on the exits of the turns and they were there to keep people from like going too wide or whatnot but the indie lights teams from back then from the 90s late 90s they refused to test the danger man because of the curbing so they had to shave those curbs those bumps completely gone and so we're not going to do anything drastic to try to keep people in bounds we may paint some of the curbing to make it more slippery so yet they're still going to use the curbing it's going to be more slippery but maybe they won't go on the dirt because there's not going to be any grip on the big old slaps of curbing we have. I may have to try some paint really quick here as soon as it warms up. (laughs) For trialers like myself, I'm assuming that timing is built into the track surface and then we can just use our MyLaps or other telemetry systems, or is there a different mechanism that you guys employ? Let's just put it this way. We are not going to sanction a timed event if we don't have to. The insurance for a timed event, it's much more. Now, we do have the MyLabs receiver and all of its capacity available if you want, if it needs to be set up for, if you don't have your own equipment per se, yeah, we can rent our own MyLabs and set it up for you guys. But for like an or open test and tune, we don't actually have it on for those. So you're probably going to just rely on your GPS timers or your friend with a watch or whatnot. It's not always live. You follow me? I understand. 
so a lot of tracks now have instituted this concept of a club, its own personal like driving organization. I think you guys alluded to that. Does Gingerman have its own club for quote unquote member days or anything like that? And and yep. if people want to get involved in that, what's the subscription like or what's the, you know, what are the fees like, things like that? What should people expect if they want to join that particular service? We have the Fast Guy Club, which is our exclusive club. It's $2,500 for the year. They get 10 exclusive track days that are just fast guy members and their guests. They get five guest passes. Guest driver passes. Yes, guest driver passes. Spectators are free that day. They also get entry into our open season weekend and end of the season weekend. That's included and test and tunes are included. Evening test and tunes, yeah. Yeah, because we have five evening test and tunes over the season. And then they also get half price food in the kitchen. Special so, garage rate. There's a fast guy club garage. Get free storage for their tires, right? Mm-hmm. Some of the fast guys are in lemons, 24 hour lemons. So they get preferential paddock spots. You know, they say, hey, can I have my spot? You know, and and I'll go out of the way to make sure they get their spot. You know, that kind yeah. of thing. So just little perks here and there that they get. It's open to open wheel and closed wheel cars if a open wheel car driver comes and brings his open wheel car. Then we run 40 minutes of the hour for closed wheel cars. And then we run a 20 minute run group for the open wheel cars. We do that every hour we switch off. And then some days we have five drivers all day and some days we have 35. You know, it all depends. If they use up their five special corporate passes, they can bring a guest and the guest has to pay $200. Core group of guys that have been there since the beginning that are amazing, um, really good guys. They help out other drivers that are new. They talk to them. It, it's really camaraderie and friendship and fun. And the Porsche guys stick together and the Mustang guys hang out together. And everybody will hang out and have a beer after five o'clock when they're done for the day. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really good time. It's a really fun group. Come to an event, sign up or send us a $2,500 check and Say, I want to be in fast guys. What else do I have to do? You know? So in this post COVID world that we're living in, are there any special rules or regulations for coming to ginger man that people should be aware of now that, you know, we're, we're dealing with all these new personal, you know, protection and all this other kind of stuff. We have sanitizing stations all throughout the track. We've hired a custodian that goes back and forth between the two bathhouses, the bathrooms and cleans and cleans the tower and, you know, does deep cleaning in different areas of the track every week. Quick shout out to uh, Karina, our custodian. She does a really great job. Yeah, she's amazing. And she's coming back this year. But we have sanitizing stations at the gatehouse in La Dolce Vita at eight and a half at the tower at both of the bathrooms. There's hand sanitizer everywhere. We've hired in more porta potties. I know we have a mask mandate in Michigan. People do driver's meetings outside. We, we have stickers put outside. up. And we just like any, anywhere else. I guess we're all hoping, you know, hopefully this year things will kind of go back to normal. We'll see. To a new normal. Point. Yeah. We didn't want to run out track helmets, I know, because of the virus. Yeah. That was too complicated. And We sold a lot of helmets last year, though, because of that. 24-hour lemons, they usually did all their stuff in the pavilion. Well, this year they did it down at the gatehouse, and they, um, they changed the way they did things. Grid life changed the way they did things. We limited the amount of people that could come in eight and a half at a time because it's a small building. We kept La Dolce Vita closed for the most part over the season. Very seldom was it ever used because, you know, we didn't want people congregating inside of it. And it's also, it was really up to the group. Certain groups cared more about it, took more precautions than others. And, you know, it was really what, what the customer wanted. Certain events, you had to have your mask on if you left your paddock spot. 
Bird Life had spots that were mask mandated. You had to have masks on in this area or you know that area and like grid life didn't have their concerts like they they did last year because of it because of covid so yeah it wasn't the six thousand person event it was like two thousand people and yeah, yeah there's no live music there's no concerts still a lot of people though <laughs> so that, yeah. that answers another question of where there are there limits at the facility but sounds like those are really probably mandated by the county that you guys reside in so you're just really following state and county regulations at that point of how many people can congregate in one spot i think most people don't realize though that in the world of motorsport especially circuit racing it's probably a lesser likelihood of exposure, especially, you know, outside of coaching where you've got your paddock space, you know, and you're doing your thing and everybody spreads out anyway. And you're outdoors, there's tons of oxygen. And when you're in the car, even with the coach, you got helmets on and the windows down. And I'm not saying that there isn't the possibility or probability of, of anything happening, but I think it's, it's very, very low compared to, you know, some other sports that are out there, or other, you know, activities that you could be Definitely. I, I agree. Yeah, definitely. And, and we have, we have 350 acres. <clears throat> we have a lot of space. It's, it's easy to isolate yourself. Most events aren't 2000 people or 6,000 people, you know, they're two, 300 or whatever. And yeah, we have plenty of space to spread out. Zach, you mentioned you have been at the helm now of Gingerman Raceway for about four seasons. So meaning you took over from your dad, you're in charge of the racetrack and all of that. So it kind of makes me wonder, what are some of the new features, the upcoming changes, what you have in mind to evolve Gingerman for the next 25 years? What does that look like? Well, yeah, there, there was a manager before me, not my father, but yeah, this, this will be my fourth season. And I think yeah, going in the future, well, every year, I mean, we want to add things, new projects. I mean, I'm looking at a list right now, you know, everything from like a kid's playground to uh, a skid pad. I've had people tell me we should build a skid pad. Like that'd be yeah. a great place for people to learn. Great place for drifting, you know, testing, go-kart track. We'd like to buy more land. We're always looking to expand. I mean, we have a lot of acreage, but could use more land. I mean, there's like a million things. <laughs> But I guess, because you're talking about the, the future now, right? Like, mm-hmm. where, what are the big future projects? Uh, I mean, one of them is Endless Summer, where we want to sell lots to, to racers, where they can have their own land and then build their own garage and maybe have, like, their own condo. We have about 100 acres in the southwest part of the facility where you can do that. Especially my father right now, he's trying to develop that to make a little community of racers, you know, where they can have their own house here. Kind of like Autobahn. Have you been to Autobahn or? Seen? Yeah, Monticello has that. There's a bunch of other. Yeah, exactly. New Jersey started doing that as well, and, and in some some fashion. Autobahn, their their houses overlook the track, or you know these huge Taj Mahal garages. You know, and driving around the track, it seems like Super Mario Kart or something. <laughs> and it's cool because each Taj Mahal garage is different, you know, architecturally. And it was, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we're we're getting faster internet service, but we're gonna have much faster internet service and have free Wi-Fi for all of our customers, just like you go to a hotel. Like anywhere in the facility, you can get free Wi-Fi, fast Wi-Fi. I'd really love to have cameras at all the corners. And, that, and that's part, part of the thing we didn't really mention or talk about with, with the safety issue. But I would love to have our chief you know, race marshal be at one or wherever he is and could have an iPad and for smaller events where we don't have a lot of race marshals. You know, and it's just him and maybe someone else. He can quickly pull up and look at all the corners, you know, on, a, on his iPad or something. And and I mean, there's there's tons of uses, and a lot of groups would appreciate. You know, you go to the tower, and well, which a lot of big tracks have. You go to a room, and then you have a monitor. You could see 
each corner, right? In this big room and all the different monitors. We want to develop this control room because our tower really all it is, it's like a timing tower and organizations go in there and they can set up their laptops and pretty much just get your times and that's about it. And so we want to integrate cameras from most of the corners to cover pretty much the whole track, every corner and straightaways and turn that tower into something that would increase the safety where you can actually not only view the corners or view the whole track from the tower, but to be able to control the lights too from the tower as you're watching. That, that sort of system, you know, that we could probably integrate that into our grassroots style racetrack. That's definitely something we'd like to develop. And, I, you know, and I guess, as I mentioned, maybe a fleet of cars or, or this idea of coming here and you could rent a car, like they have an Autobahn. I, I think that's something we could definitely do. Or even like a, a clubhouse. We, we thought about possibly having a, like a bar, you know, a place where you could buy beer. Someday I think it'd be cool. Yeah. Go to, the, to our place. We have a little bar club, you know, nice mahogany uh, tables and nice cushy couches. And yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of room to grow. There's a lot, of, you know, a lot of things. You want to make the racetrack a destination, right? You want it to a place where people frequent, potentially haunt and, and whatnot. So it sounds like you guys are headed in the right direction. Obviously, Rome wasn't built in a day and Gingerman is, is here to stay. So I guess the big question on a lot of people's minds, though, is still is when are we going to see Gingerman and iRacing, right? <laughs> people want to try it that haven't been there yet or maybe can't get there. So I say that jokingly, but there's a lot of seriousness in that question as well. We should do that. Yeah, I was going to say, I was actually approached now, I want to say like twice. And just recently, some pretty genuine and sounds like people are actually working on this. So that being said, the ball is definitely rolling in that regard. I don't know to what capacity, but it's coming. And it's just a matter of like checking in and saying, hey, with that conversation you were asking me about the whole getting the track mapped, where did that go? Or what do we have to do to like hold hands into that venture? But definitely would be, that would be great, uh, I think. Maybe they can make it more exciting for some people. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking forward to it because it would give me an opportunity to practice the track before I get there. You know what I mean? You're talking about those three days and all that kind of thing. I mean, it's been proven time and time again that simulation is a great way to familiarize yourself with the track. I mean, there's no substitute for the real thing, but that would be really cool to see if you're going to add that to your list of things to do in the next, you know, let's call it 10 years, not maybe 25. Zach, big shout out to your dad. Obviously, you know, a round of applause for him for doing this and somebody to have the gusto against all odds to just do something like this and see their dream to its end so this is awesome so do you want to give any shout outs to anybody else as we wrap up well yeah well there's a lot of big shout outs we have a lot of partners that we uh, do you know tire tire rack lane automotive motor state cca this is our 25th anniversary and i'm developing our poster and brochure and it's also going to be a t-shirt but we're going to have an homage to all these organizations that have been with us since the beginning or been with us a long time, SCCA, NASA, Gridlife, Lemons. On to meet. But yeah, so yeah, SCCA, big shout out to also to Gridlife. We're their home track. They started here and they've grown to this huge thing. We've gotten so much exposure. So many people know about us because of Gridlife, yeah. younger people. And, you know, we have concerts here. We had Waka Flocka. Like it, it's 
they brought all that here. You know, this it's back in the day when I was a kid here, I never thought we'd have like a big rapper or any big musical. It took it to a different level with Grid Life. It showed that this place, there's a lot of potential here. And like, so yeah, and, 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 and saying a shout out to Grid Life, also to Chris Stewart, big shout out. He's, he's been our best customer and he's a really cool guy and, and very loyal. And he runs Grid Life in West Michigan Honda Meet. But I'm, I'm really, I'm really impressed with the progress you guys have made. I think it's rarer and rarer these days that new tracks are being built in the United States. I mean, there's a glut of them to begin with. I think if I last count, there's like 88 or, or maybe more, I'm closer to 100 different tracks. But to see tracks being built in the last 25 years, I think I can count those on the fingers of one hand, especially, you know, really recognizable tracks. The most recent being Coda, obviously, and that's, you know, now used for F1. But on the smaller scale and the tracks that, you know, that we frequent the most, I mean, Gingerman's right up there on the list of tracks that I can think of that have been built in this last quarter century. And, and again, they're not popping up overnight. So I applaud you guys for everything you've been doing and, and keep up the good work. Thank you. I tip my hat to you guys at Gingerman. And for those that are listening out there, if you haven't been out to visit, and even if you're from the DMV like we are, it's still within that you know 12 hour drive to get there. And I think it's well worth going to check it out and see what it's all about and become re-inspired and reinvigorated by a grassroots motorsports organization and facility like Gingerman. So I, I highly recommend it. And if you want to learn more about Gingerman Raceway, I tell you guys to check out gingermanraceway.com or follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Gingerman Raceway or use their online contact us form to get in touch with Mary Beth directly. Yeah. So I can't thank you guys enough for coming on the show, Zach, Mary Beth, and JR. This has been an absolute pleasure. And I hope that our listeners have learned something new and come out to check out Gingerman in the near future, especially this season when people are look, so. looking to do something different. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us on. I really Thank you very yeah, much. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.